You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. I feel excited about today. I don't know what the 25th of October means to you. I've actually got a friend who today is being appointed as an elder in a church. It was a church that they planted probably about four years ago. So they started from scratch. It's a sort of the idea of, hey, we could see something of God's kingdom come here. And then today I know that they're going to make elders in their church. And it's almost moves from what we call a church plant to a church. I think, what an exciting day. Andy McCulloch, who was with us earlier this year, planted a church into Istanbul. They're appointing elders in their church today. And appointing deacons today. And starting a second church today. I mean, some of you know, if you've come to the church recently, that we, I think, gave about £9,000 towards Andy last year and some of the work that he's doing. So I feel excited today. I think, golly, here we are, and this is something that we're a part of. On the first Sunday in December, we've got a guy coming to preach who's going to be there next church plant into Istanbul. Because the kingdom of God is advancing. And sometimes I think we can forget that. And just what exciting days that we live in. I've been loving this series that we've been looking at called The Gospel Revolution. Uh, We've been looking at this. This is our sixth and final week. Uh, We've based this all on the one verse, Romans 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Theodoret, I don't think this one's coming up on the screen, he was a 5th century Syrian bishop. He said this, A pepper, outwardly, seems to be cold, but the person who crunches it between the teeth experiences the sensation of biting fire. The gospel can appear at first an interesting theory, but when we bite into it, we discover the fullness of God. And what we try to do in this whole series is look at it. It's almost been how do we bite into this pepper and what have we discovered? Paul, he, he was teaching this. Uh, he wrote much of the New Testament. He's saying, look, the gospel is what God has done and what God will do in your life. He doesn't say the gospel brings power. It has power, but he says it is power. And so we've been spending this time just looking at the gospel. The first week we defined the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus. He died, he rose in exchange for us. The gospel is not something we add to our life, but something we add our life to. Week two, we said we're saved by the gospel. In a moment, when we see Jesus for who he is, when we believe Jesus and what he's done for us, we're gloriously saved. Week three, we looked at the fact we can be changed by the gospel. It's a moment, but it's a process. The reality is that instantly, if we we say sorry for what we've done wrong, God forgives us. But many of us are going through seasons of life where we just realize we're growing and learning so much. We then looked at week four about growing in the gospel. That we're to position ourselves to be those that are motivated to fight and overcome the obstacles to us growing. Last week, we looked at defending the gospel. And actually, it can feel like it's under attack, under attack from materialism, moralism, religion, and relativism. This week, we're looking at gospel advance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. 
Lord, I just feel as we've looked at it, it's felt like a diamond that's been held up. And every week we just catch light that's, that's come through another angle. And we think, wow, what beauty, what an attraction. I've never really seen that. I pray as we come this final week of this series that we'll be those that just think, wow. Oh, that we could play a part in this. Father, we thank you for what is happening around the world. The gospel is advancing this morning. We ask your blessing upon that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we call gospel advance? Well, I guess for some of us that have been to church, you might have heard this word. It's not just a church word. We might call it mission. Now, I, I know it's been uh, the, the classic this week has been Back to the Future. But when I say the word mission to you, there's only one film that comes to my mind. It's the Blues Brothers. Anybody here seen the Blues Brothers? Yeah, I, I was going to play the whole track of it. You know, my, my kids suddenly said the Blues Brothers. I mean, I, if you don't know, it's two criminals petty criminals, if we're really honest, not, not really bad boys, that uh, decide to get a band back together because they've got to raise some money to save the orphanage where they were brought up. And, um, you know, they go around and, and they basically, you know, say, we're on a mission from God. They feel God told them to do this. And it, it doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter how things are going. Like, you know, Come back, join the band. It doesn't matter that the fact that the police want to try and stop them. I mean, I don't know if it's still the case now, but they, they, they crash more police cars in that film than any other film. When I was a kid, I remember watching, I think, it doesn't matter because we're on a mission from God. And sometimes I think, how do we get that kind of buzz and excitement about this sense of gospel advance? Or do we just think, oh, it couldn't possibly happen? It would have been so easy for those two brothers to say, oh, look, this is never going to happen. Do we give up hope or do we come with a sort of sense of excitement and mission to go? The first thing I want to say about this, I've got several things we're going to look at. I don't want to uh, overwhelm you with the points, so I'm going to dive straight in. What is our theology of mission? Well, I believe this, that the Bible would teach that God is a God on mission. It's not something that we make up. So if you read John, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 14 and verse 24, it says this, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. This is Jesus speaking. These words you hear are not my own, Jesus is saying. They belong to the Father who sent me. So what the Gospel is saying here is that actually the Father sent Jesus. It wasn't like, well, why did Jesus come? It wasn't just his idea. The Father said, I so love these people. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to send my son to die on their behalf. That's what the gospel is. The father sent the son. And then we read in John 14, verse 26, just two verses later in the same chapter. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. So basically, the Father says, I'm going to send out the Spirit. Jesus said, I will pour out my Spirit. So it's almost like, our oh, God is a God on mission. The Father sent the Son. The Father sends the Spirit. And then we can read in John 20, same gospel. John 20, verse 21. Jesus, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. This is with the disciples. He's risen from the dead. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, basically, if we understand anything about what it is to be a Christian, we realize that we're on this mission from God. I mean, this is it. You are the Blues Brothers. 
if you could take one thing away from this meeting, that surely that's what you've got to do. You need some dark shades. You need a cool suit. You know what I'm saying? You need a tank full of petrol. If you've not seen it, watch it. Because suddenly you think, hey, I'm on a mission from God. Maybe we should go with that kind of thing. Christopher Wright, he's uh, an Anglican. He's part of All Souls Langham Place up in London, says this. Instead of talking about a biblical basis for mission, we should talk about the missional basis for the Bible. Wow. So what he's saying is we don't just think about mission because actually I've just quoted a few verses. He would say the whole Bible is written because we're caught up with the fact that God is on a mission. And because God is on a mission, he gave us the Bible. I think, wow, it is that deep and intricate to the very nature of God. I believe, our understanding is this, that we are caught up in God wanting to reach out with good news. When God grabbed himself for people in the Old Testament, you can read about in Genesis 12, Genesis, first book of the Bible, the people are to be a conduit through which God would bless the people who did not know him. It's almost like right from the outset, God said, I want you to be my people so that the rest of the earth would say, who is their God? And it's almost like God was so caught up in that sort of sense of mission. I come from a small town in Sussex. The nearest town you might have heard of is a place called Brighton. Uh, so Brighton, I mean, the Seagulls are doing quite well. That's the name of our football team, top of the table. I thought I'd just slip that one in this morning. My home football team, obviously my main football team, Arsenal, are also top of the table. I thought I'd slip that one in while I'm on a mission today. The thing about Brighton, if you know anything about Brighton, is actually it's quite known for sticks of rock. And so this is candy that is really bad for your teeth, and you just give it to your kids, and they suck on it for hours. And often you'd have a, a word written on the rock, and actually, wherever you cut that rock, the whole way through, that same word is written. It doesn't matter where you break the rock. It's almost in a Brighton rock or whatever. It's there the whole way through. Well, actually, I think that would be true of God and his people. Wherever you cut them, they're on a mission. Mission would be the thing that's right inside of them. Ed Stetzer, he's a USA author, speaker, and church planter, says this, the people of God don't have a mission as much as the mission of God has a people. Oh, wow, suddenly we're realizing again in this whole series, we could suddenly think, oh, am, am, am I on a mission? No, actually, God is on a mission. I'm caught up with God. And so there's this real sense of excitement. Oh, wow, so this is what the gospel is all about. I think the origins of it were in the Old Testament, but there's an example of it in the New Testament. We, some of you will, will know this verse very well. At the end of Matthew, Jesus has died. He's risen. He speaks to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. What does he say? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mission is the big idea of the church. It's almost like that's what he says. He didn't say, I would like you to discuss this as our company motto. He said, this is what I've caught you up on. This is where we're going to go. I don't know about you, so often the danger is we slip into this thing. How do I feel about this? I mean, if you're a parent, I'm sure you do a much better job than I do. You know what I'm saying? If I said to my kids, tidy your rooms... It's almost like that's a point of discussion, isn't it? You know, often it comes to tidy the room. Why? They look fine. Tidy the room. It's not pocket money for another two weeks. Tidy the room. You know, you know. And sometimes I think we react to God's 
command like that. God says, I've caught you up on mission. We think, why? I've got, I've got plenty of time. Why? It's not something I really want to do. Why? I'm really happy like I am. But if we understand something of the Bible, the theology, surely this is what we are caught up on. I would say the danger of this, and now you're going to have to look around, and this is going to scare you. The danger is that if we don't become missional, we become incestuous. And then you end up with uh, too many genes swimming around in the Christian gene pool, and people have got six fingers and two heads. And I think, is that the danger? Because actually God's given us this mission, and because we don't do it, we just become so inward-looking. I think surely we're those that are caught up on mission. Charles Spurgeon, he was a Baptist preacher in London in the 1800s, says this, Christians are either missionaries or imposters. Oh, wow. So this is what I'm called up to do. That, you know, I, I'm a parent. Yeah, you're, you're a missionary or you're an imposter. I'm, I'm single. You're a missionary or you're an imposter. This is not my home country. You're a missionary or you're an imposter. This is something that the Bible would say Christians are called to do. This was almost the obsession of the apostles. They were the people in the New Testament that after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's almost like they got a hold of the message of Jesus and they thought, I've just got to go. Because what do the Blues Brothers say? We're on a mission from God. It wasn't said quite like this. This is the longest quote that I've probably ever put up on here. So you haven't got a picture of George. George MacLeod. He was the founder of the Scottish Iona community in the 1800s. He said this, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I know we don't have one on our building in those days. Churches all had crosses at the top of the steeple. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap at a crossroads of politics, so cosmopolitan they had to write his title in Hebrew and Latin and Greek, where cynics talk smut, thieves curse and soldiers gamble. That is where he died, and that is what he died about. That is where Christ's people ought to be. And that is what the church people ought to be about. So you say, well, actually, this whole picture of Jesus dying on the cross, it wasn't some sort of holy place hidden away. It was out there in public that people could see. And surely that's something that we should get caught up in. That's the sense of mission. Okay, so if that's our theology of mission, and hopefully you say, yeah, Pete, I agree. Should we, should we just do that today? Just a little bit of in the vote. Yeah, Pete, I agree. Fantastic. I just, just check in. So what are the hindrances? If we're really honest, if you say, yeah, yeah, that's biblical stuff, what are some of the hindrances to this? I believe that even Paul said there was, would have been aware of this. Why do you say, I'm not ashamed of it? Because people would have expected him to be ashamed of it. It wasn't easy for Paul. I think sometimes we can look back and think, oh, well, it's okay for you, Paul. You don't understand the way I live in. In those days, there was only one that you worshipped, and that was Caesar. You were supposed to declare that Caesar is Lord. So when you come out and say, Jesus is Lord, you are in real trouble. So what are the hindrances? I think the hindrances are this. We get what I would call priority confusion. Priority confusion. 
We're just going to start a new series, six weeks, can't wait, not quite sure what it's going to be like, but it will be exciting, called Healthy Church. So we've looked at Gospel Revolution for six weeks, we're going to look at Healthy Church. And what do we think of when we think Healthy Church? Maybe we think worship, these guys serve us so well. Maybe we think preaching, hopefully you get a good preacher in a couple of weeks' times. Maybe we think gifts of the Spirit. Maybe we think ministry to the poor and and the food bank that we're going to give to next week. Maybe we think actually it's about caring for one another. It's so important over the teas and coffees. I think the danger is that if we don't understand what the Bible considers important, our, our churchmanship comes down to our individual tastes. Actually, I think the Bible has clearly said, actually, what is healthy church? The healthy church is we're here for mission. One of the early church fathers said, church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. So we're not here just to try and make ourselves comfortable. I think everything I do, I think, what could I possibly do so that somebody from Ealing could hear this wonderful news of the gospel? You know, oh, but could I give up my seat so that someone could sit here? You know what I'm saying? Could I invest my money so that we could reach other people? That is what it's like. How do we overcome our priority confusion? Let me ask you the question. How have you got your priorities wrong? How have I got my priorities wrong? Am I really living for this gospel? Am I really caught up on a mission from God? I love living in London. I've said it before and I think the challenge again is the danger is there's so much going on. I think, is that become my priority? Oh, is my priority really him and his gospel? I think we can get priority confusion. I think another thing that we can do, even with church, is we can get what I would call Holy Spirit confusion. You see, the, I believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is for one thing. What does Jesus say? You can read about it in Luke 4. This is the start of his ministry. He sits down, he reads, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I honestly believe, and we had this this morning, didn't we? The Holy Spirit is here. But he is here to equip you for mission. Oh, right. I think sometimes our danger is, if we're really honest, we can think that Holy Spirit, maybe he just makes me feel better about myself, which he does. But why would he want you to feel better about yourself? So that when you get out there, people think, man, alive. You guys are full of life. And What is it about you? Oh, well, actually, I know him. Even in the early church, we read in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They were told, wait for the Holy Spirit to come, because actually when we're caught up with him, we will be driven out on mission. Holy Spirit is not meant to be kept on a Sunday morning. I mean, he's here from Monday to Friday. I was going to say nine to five, but that's not true, because he's there from midnight to midnight. Your whole life, 24-7, pulsating through you. Do we really understand that? I'm never sure if I want to tell these things because I think, oh, if they get recorded, then it could come back to bite me. I think the third thing is probably the most challenging for me. What's the hindrance? If I'm honest, for me, I would say it's 
Selfishness. Selfishness. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, this is one of the letters of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I had the privilege of growing up in a church family. I honestly consider that a privilege. You know what I'm saying? I could probably draw you a picture of the three crosses on the little hill, you know, from about the age of three. I had a privilege of understanding the word. But I'll be honest, there was a time, a few years back now, where I just felt, God, I feel I need to seek you again, that I see how you see. And I know that sounds silly because I could end up thinking, oh, well, I'm a Christian and I'm okay and I'm going to heaven and I want my family to be okay. And I remember many times I'd just be praying until literally God would break me and I would cry. And I thought, golly, God, why haven't I felt like this for some years? And the danger is that I could get so caught up in what I was doing that I could then become so hard to people that didn't know. And so genuinely, I was thinking, oh, God, please give me your heart for how you feel. Now, you know, for some of you, this feel funny. It was a, there was a move of God. I think it was about 92 or 94. You know, some of you think, God, Peter, I was hardly born. I don't look that old. I'm just slipping that in for details. But I remember just sitting in my office. I used to pray these guys. I said, oh, God, come upon us. And I just feel God would break me so that I would cry for people. I thought, oh, God, I've got such great news. I so want people to hear this. And I suddenly realized, oh, I think I've probably come a bit selfish in my sense of mission. What about you? What's the hindrance to you? Maybe you, you haven't got any hindrance. Maybe you need some provocation. And so I just want to quickly move on. What are some of the provocations for us to get caught up on this? I mean, the more I think about this, I think I should have had the Blues Brothers playing the whole morning. You know what I'm saying? I should have handed out Ray-Bans at the end of this meeting. You could have walked away going, you know, we're on a mission from God. See, I believe there's a provocation is this, that we are clearly called to it. Mark 1, verse 16, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. The first moment that Jesus called people to follow him, he called them to be fishers of men. Mission is not something that's in the small print at the end. Hang on, I never realized that. You know what I'm saying? I didn't think I'd signed up for that. Jesus, when he first called his disciples, was, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. In fact, some would say, and I guess it's a nice picture, the first thing he did was call the disciples to be fishers of men. The last thing he spoke on earth was, today you'll be with me in paradise. And actually, it's first and last words. It's this whole thing of actually, how do I bring him with me? How do I take people with me? How do I invite them? Then obviously we know he rose again. And what did he say to the disciples? Go. These were these last words, these famous words. I tell you, the thing is this, God works through us. It says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, you are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. It's almost like you're the pipe and God is the power. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about all this. You know, you suddenly think, oh, Pete, I don't think I could do it. Great. If you think you can do it, sit down and listen again because you've misunderstood the sermon. 
Oh, golly, we've got to go back to the beginning. <laughs> Is this something I've got to do? No, you've just got to be open to God working through you. That's the provocation I want to bring. Charles Spurgeon, I have quoted him twice. Yeah, his pictures come up for the second time. He was nicknamed the Prince of Preachers, so I thought it'd be right to let him have a second word. He says this, if sinners be damned, then let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. He said, oh, come on, this is surely what we should be about. This is the provocation. This is urgent business. I'm not going to put this off. My, my son is it's home for the weekend. Many things I enjoy doing with him. One thing I don't. I'll just be totally honest. It's playing risk. I don't know how many of you are into this board game. I just think it's, I was going to say demonic, but that's probably unhelpful for some people. You know what I'm saying? I just think, I just don't get it. You get all these colored countries, you get these little things, and you're meant to put them on there, and you roll this dice. And I don't understand it, but his armies are always bigger than mine. And his armies are always in the best place. I don't think I've ever won. That's my little childish moment over and out. But the reality is I probably just don't position myself to win on these things. I'm just not great on that. You know what I'm saying? I'm an enthusiast for now. Am I really positioning for this army? You know, this strategy came. We meet up with some friends. They've got another board game like this called Diplomacy. I don't know if any of you have ever played Diplomacy. If anybody ever offers, say no. If you take nothing from this sermon, it's this. Never play Diplomacy. You know, I don't think we've ever finished a game. And we can be on holiday with them for a whole week. You know what I'm saying? It's so complicated. And we're all writing down these strategic moves. And I just think, and you know, after about three days, we think, oh, where are we? Oh, well, you know. And I think sometimes we can be a little bit like that probably with mission. Do we position ourselves for it? Or do we think, oh, it's just too much effort? Now, I don't want to over-formalize this because I believe that mission should be organic it's a lifestyle, not a program. I believe it should be relational, and therefore, you know, it's not something that's going to be strict and narrow. I think, actually, it's going to be word-based much more than actions. I think it is something that is active and not something that is just passive. How do we genuinely position ourselves for mission? Alan Hirsch, he's an Australian missiologist. There you go. That's a word you've not heard before today, I'm sure. We frequently say the church has a mission, A more correct statement would be, mission as a church. How do we get caught up on this? How do we position ourselves for this? I guess four things I want to quickly say under this. It should be the whole of life. We cannot divide into, oh, this is when I'm doing mission and then this is when I'm not. This is all that we are. We don't suddenly turn into become a Christian and turn off to become a Christian. You know what I'm saying? These are not like Christmas lights. You know what I'm saying? Flick, the switch is there, I'm lit. Oh, flick, I'm off. Now I can do whatever I like. Drink too much, say whatever I think, gossip at work. Oh, no, I'm back in church, flick the lights on. It's not like that at all. It's the whole of life. Where you eat, where you work, where you sleep, that's what it's caught up in. What other tips would I give on positioning ourselves? I think we need to connect with people. They often say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I think the challenge for some of us is we need to be relevant before we're right. 
And the danger is that Christians think they want to be right all the time. And actually, how do we connect? How are we really relevant to what people are thinking? What kind of questions are your friends asking? What kind of fears and hopes do they have? How do you help them overcome these struggles? Otherwise, the danger is we answer questions people aren't even asking. Finally, just under positioning this, and this probably seems a strange one. What are you contending for when you talk about mission? What is it that they are, they, they are focused upon? So they, they've got no room or scope for God. Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it money? What brings a sense of security or worth or purpose? Unless you think, well, ultimately this can be found in Jesus. Unless we answer some of these questions, we'll never be positioned. I'm going to be skipping through. I realize I've not done well on my timing. Equipped for mission. In the book of Acts, we see the gospel is presented in two ways. Public preaching and personal sharing. In London, I want to encourage us to do lots of personal sharing. People in London are suspicious of all things institutional. So we overcome that by personally connecting to people. I think it's great you guys are here this morning. Thank you for coming. Come again next week. But actually, often people can be a little bit cynical about institutions. I guess it's why we, people can be cynical about politics, I think, or the church. And so it's so important that we develop personal relationships. I think it's so important because actually nowadays in school, I don't know about you, when I went to school, we sung hymns. I don't think they sing hymns anymore, you know what I'm saying? When I went to school, you know, you know you're going to offer me a rocking chair soon, aren't you? When I went to school, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. I don't think people pray the Lord's Prayer now. And so actually sometimes I think the more relational we are, the more we can help fill in some of these basic building blocks that people don't have. And we can say things and they think, oh, I'm not quite sure about that. Could you explain a little bit more? People have lots of personal questions and need individual answers. And so therefore, how do we get ourselves equipped? And and very quickly, I just want to challenge us. Tell your stories. People love hearing stories. I mean, if you weren't here last week, you missed a treat. I'm sorry to say that. But Damien, when he told his story before he got baptized, I just think, I love listening to those kind of stories, don't you? Some of us, if we're really honest, the thing you probably most enjoyed out of this whole little talk of mine will be the story of my friend in Istanbul. Because as soon as we tell a story, we think, oh, I can connect to that. And it's great, therefore, to prepare and practice telling your story. This is why I would say how we're equipped for it. It's why every week we try and bang on about these leaflets that we have, little booklets called Why Jesus. This is something that you can say, I'm, golly, actually, am I equipped? I would say if you come to this and you call this church your home, hopefully you, you've memorized this. In fact, one Sunday, I'm going to test you on what page. No, I'm not. But, you know, I think you would have so read it and so got a hold of it. You think, oh, actually, this is really helpful. I would hope that you'd think, oh, I know that if somebody wanted to pray about following Jesus for themselves, I know the prayers on page 18. Look at that. Front row. Hate to say it. I didn't hear it from the back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, God, where's this kind of thing? We would love people to think. This is, this is a topic. We have these on the disc. If we run out, John Jackson will buy lorry loads of them. It's not a problem. You can take as many as you want. We would love you to feel equipped so that you've got something. Some of you would have read this book. Anyone read Bill Hybels, Just Walk Across the Room? 
Yeah, only if you, anyone want to read it. Yeah, great. It's yours for a tenner, Nosh. I'm glad to see you're keen. <laughs> Anybody else think, actually, I would like... Oh, golly, this... I think, actually, how do we get a hold of some of these things that think, oh, they just inspire us? How do we get ourselves genuinely equipped? Neil Cole. Um, He's written a book. I read that this week. He says, the church is not sent on mission by God. Rather, God is on mission, and the church is called to join him. You see, sometimes I think, actually, how do we genuinely get on mission? All these tools can be really effective. But if we really want to be equipped... We want to be close to him. You see, when we're with God, we are on mission because that's where God is. Okay, I'm, I'm going to literally land. I, I mean, there's lots of things. I would, I would love to plug the event with Lex. Seventh. I know it's a Saturday morning. I know it's 9.30. Come. It will be a great time. He's an excellent guy at equipping. How as a church are we going to be on mission? Well, the first thing is we genuinely believe in church planting. So you might say, oh, what's that mean? This church itself has only been going not quite three years yet. We'll have been going three years in January. And we would say that was it. It's like we believe it was God's idea to plant us here. And actually, we believe we're going to grow and we'll plant other churches. I feel excited about that. That's why I'm already buzzing about Istanbul, because I think there's our connection there. Who knows what God will do? Who knows where else in London God will cause us to plant a church? But that's why already I think, I want to be praying for church plants. I want to be paying for church plants. Why not? As a church, when often we've given money away, we think, where's a church plant? How could we stand with them? I want to be serving church plants. I went to Newcastle this week. I've never been that far north in my life. You've got to realize that I come from Brighton. You know, I'm north of the River Thames. I thought this was as far north as London, you know, the, the country went. Why did I go there? Because I've met a guy who's basically there planting a church. And I think, I'd love to go and cheer him on. I think, hey, how could we cheer on other people? As a church, that's something we're called to do. So that could be the massive thing. But actually, that's how we, we want to build a church here. We want to build a church that actually, we're just friendly with people. I mean, I, I don't know, how many of here have been to... Ealing Cricket Club's fireworks. That's great, isn't it? I mean, they're doing them again this year. Why don't we just all go on mass together and take a load of friends? Why don't we just hang out with people? I mean, the quiz night, let's be honest, I put the picture of the monkey up there. Because I'm useless at quiz nights. But actually, I think it's just a chance for us to be friends together. Don't come because you enjoy quiz nights. In fact, if you're good at them, don't come because you make the rest of us look stupid. But just come because you want to hang out and be friends together. I mean, that's the purpose. We're stopping our groups that week. We say, come on, let's all gather together. We, we just want to be friendly, don't we? I love it. I know the students this week did an acoustic night up at Costo in Acton. What a great opportunity. Why? Just to hang out, just to be friends. I, I love us to be a church where that's happening all the time. Now, I know that there can be different kind of events. I know that we do Alpha and we plug that and we want people to come along to ask their questions. I know people are journeying, they come with us on a Sunday. But I'd love people as well just to be able to talk about having neighbours around for mild wine and mince pies. I mean, why couldn't we be there? I know that the people here, Edward and Anugra, was it cheese and wine? 
Or just wine. Okay, you know, they, they just invited everyone around in their blocks just to say, come on, why don't we get to know people? I know Mark and Abby live in a, a converted church building. Let's get everyone together. Let's have Bobby. I know Emmanuel and Sandra have done that. Why? Because we just want to be friendly. That, this is practically how we work these things out. So, you know, don't sort of suddenly think, oh, golly, Peter, you know, have I got to have this? Have I got to ram it? No, actually, you could just be doing it by just being a friend. You see, if you're really alive, which I think you will be, because Jesus said, I've come and might have life, and life to the full. You're going to be so friendly. People are going to say, man, alive, what batteries have you got? Isn't that true? What's getting you going? I think that is surely how we want to be. So the gospel, the gospel is not something that, you know, just impacts us here. It's going to impact our whole life. We are getting the we get the privilege of being caught up in mission. This is not something I have to do. Man, I get to do it. I mean, don't you sort of think of that? Some of you will know, um, you know, I am middle-aged now, and uh, each year I like to set myself a little sort of goal. Maybe it makes me think death's coming closer. I'm not quite sure. I, I skydived this year. I jumped out of a plane, we were falling 100 miles an hour, you know what I'm saying? You, know, you do 1,000 feet in five seconds. You haven't got time to wet yourself, it's that quick. Why do we do these things just for the thrill of it, you know what I'm saying? 5,000 feet, I dropped 25,000 seconds, couldn't find the parachute, thought there was going to be trouble. There obviously isn't because I'm here, but I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. Why do we do that? Because sometimes I think we've forgotten the adventure of God. And so we seek thrills elsewhere. And actually, if we really understand something of the gospel, we think, wow, what a thrill. Who knows what God will have you do this week? The gospel could so radically change you, not just the way you sing on a Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Who knows that when you're at uni this week, someone's going to say, man alive, something's different about you. I remember my first year in halls of residence, I was going out with a girl at the time, won't go there because it's not the one I've married, and um, <laughs> she used to come and visit me, and because I was a Christian, I didn't let her stay in my room, in fact, no, she stayed in my room, and I asked the guy next door in the halls of residence, could I sleep on his floor, which I think he thought I was a bit nuts, but fine, okay, Pete, you can come and sleep on the floor when your girlfriend comes to stay. I got loads of ribbing about it. There was 27 people in my halls of residence. It was called Roper Annex. I can still remember it now. All 26 asked me, what did I believe by the end of the year? Because although I felt like, they actually said, golly, Pete, we see there's something about you that is different and there's life. We'd like to know a little bit about that. We'd like to know what, what's going on here. I mean, there was one guy, Gareth, I still remember now, massive, great Welsh guy. He just said to me, I wish I'd been like you. And I think, man, I'm like, Gareth, you're so good looking, you're so muscly, I wish I'd been like you. <laughs> but suddenly he thought, no, no, there's something here. I think that's the thrill of the gospel. And sometimes, you know, if we were so caught up with Jesus, I think we could be so radical that actually people say, man, I want what you've got. That's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? Anyway, I'll hand back to these guys.